Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. What's up, everybody? Before we get into the episode today, we want to give you a very important reminder. You only have a couple of days left to back the new awesome Kickstarter that we have for Game Nights tokens featuring some of your favorite guests from Game Nights emblazoned and commemorated forever in token form. That's correct. There are 10 different tokens, and when you order, you get four copies of each one. That's 40 cards total. There are foil and non-foil versions available, but... Just want to say, we recently reached our stretch goal for the foil versions, the premium sets. So if you order one of those, you are guaranteed to get one of each of our tokens, Jimmy and my token signed, and the custom-made deck box. Yep. This is a stretch goal has been reached, so anybody from now until the end of the Kickstarter will get those. And again, only a couple days left. The time is running out, and we're never going to print these again, so... Get on over to that Kickstarter and order it now. And make sure you get the premium set if you can. The cards are foil. Josh and I are going to be signing one of our tokens inside of those, as well as it comes with a custom deck box built just for this, only for the premium backers. So you guys can click the link below. It's going to be on our Twitter. Uh, basically, everywhere you look, you're going to be able to find it. But get on it quickly. We'll never be selling these again. And one more thing. We are still doing the auditions for the next fan episode of Game Night. So if you want to be a guest on the show, if you want to get knighted, sit down with Jimmy and I and another uh, unchosen guest at this moment (laughs) and play a game of Commander in front of the world, you can do that. You just need to send in your audition and you also have to be an active supporter of our Patreon so if you go to patreon.com slash command zone and sign up, all that information will be there. Yep, that's right. 18 plus only. Make sure you do that. Again, that deadline is coming up very quickly. You don't want to miss out. We only did this one time last year, and this is probably the only time we're doing it this year. No guarantees. So check out all the links below and all that. All right. Are you ready to get into the episode? Let's do it. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. You're a boy, make a big noise playing in the street Gonna be a big man someday You got mud on your face, you big disgrace Kicking your can all over the place Singing, we will, we will rock you Come on! We will, we will rock you By getting to Mythic in (laughs) Magic the Gathering Arena What's up, everybody? How's it going? You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Let's put those lyrics away. Yes. We did, totally didn't have the lyrics in front of us. I still messed them up somehow. I really don't know any of the lyrics to Queen songs. I just know like three or four like points in each song where I'm like, I right. know the words there, and then you're singing along. And you're it's like, oh, very hard to sing along because it's Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury had an impossible range that you yeah. cannot follow. Yeah. It's like you a always four have, octave range or it's something. It's insanity. Insane. Um, anyway. On a completely unrelated note, today's episode we're is ta- unrelated to Commander. It's unrelated to Commander, <laughs> right. So every once in a while, we'll do an episode uh, about something else, and today's going to be about Magic Arena. Jimmy and I have been playing a lot. Oh, yeah. And we know a lot of people, like us, they are on the grind. They want to get that little icon. They want to reach Mythic, and uh, today we're going to help you figure out how to navigate that, how to get there, how to reach the pinnacle. 
And we are specifically going to be talking about limited today. The standard environment is one that Josh and I are not as familiar with, but drafting and limited is one I also think is potentially even easier to get to mythic. I'm, I'm, we will talk about constructed. I have some, I have some, some success there. So yeah, it's not. We're going to go more in depth on limited, but we will touch on constructed because I think that is a way to get to mythic, and yep. it's not it's not necessarily difficult. It's just time consuming. But if you are obsessed with playing cards in real life. You should check out cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's our affiliate link for uh, after you get your arena itch out of the way and want to sling some cardboard right then and there. Just head on over, use that link, you can buy magic cards anyway, and you can support the show while doing so by just typing in a very easy URL. Yes, and you know, Magic Arena, nothing makes me want to play Magic in person more than playing that. It's great because you're at home and you're playing it, but then I'm like, man, I want to get everybody together and I want to play. Also... Our other sponsor is Ultra Pro. So once you get those cards at Card Kingdom, you're going to want to protect them. You're going to want to make sure that your battlefield is nice and awesome with cool play mats, dice, and things like that. And Ultra Pro is your best place to find all of that stuff. Big thanks to all of our sponsors. And big thanks to all of you out there who have joined our Patreon. Heck yeah. If you go to patreon.com slash command zone, you can contribute to our content directly. It really does keep the lights on, on around here and uh, help us keep making our content. In yep. fact... Josh we- is out of breath from making so much content. <sighs> We've, we have, we've, I'm out of breath from that. We will rock you still. <laughs> it's hard to sing like that. Yeah. Uh, Usually we only do one verse or that's one a good chorus. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, we do call out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Anthony Castronakis. Anthony, you rock. Knock, knock. We will rock you. Rock, rock. Who's there? Castronakis. <laughs> Is that a knock, knock uh, joke? It's not. It's just a combination of words that sounded similar. All right, let's move on to the main topic: how to get to Mythic. Now, there is a ladder ranking system in Magic: The Gathering Arena. You can rank up. You start all the way down in bronze, and you can get all the way up to Mythic. You're right. It goes bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, and then Mythic. It is a ladder system like many games have, where Basically, you need to win more than you lose, and you will eventually climb up to Mythic. Yep. If you have above a 50% win percentage in either Constructed or Limited, you will eventually get there. But how much better than 50% sort of determines how long that's going to take. Yeah, because you can't derank, right. uh, uh, which is great. Well, you can't lose ranks. However, you can lose tiers within a rank. For example, if you're at Gold 3 and you lose a bunch of games in a row, then you can drop down to Gold Tier 4. But you'll never get dropped all the way down to Silver, though. Also, the way the ranking system works, when you actually reach the next rank, you're protected from going down a rank for like a few games, Which and then eventually great. you can. So you you actually, I think, I might have even been wrong when I'm, I might have misspoke earlier. I think you can be slightly below 50% and still climb. And if, still climb, yeah. Because the times you're losing, if it's right after you gained a rank, you can't lose the rank immediately. Right. It's, it's weird, but basically you want to be like, I don't know, 55% at least to have a decent chance. Really, if you're in the 60s, you're going to get to Mythic in a fairly short order. It's hard to keep that up um, once you start advancing in in tiers because once you're up in Platinum... You're playing against other Platinum players. They have... If it's constructed, they have all the cards. Like down in Bronze, like you're playing against a bunch of players that don't have a ton of the Mm -hmm. best cards. They're just making decks as best they can with what they've got. Um, Anyway, so all this is to say that a lot of you out there are like us, wanted to reach Mythic, and we're going to help you do that today. Um, I do want to say, I think it's much easier to reach Mythic in Limited than it is in Constructed, as far as, like, I think it takes a little less time. And restrictions as well. You know, to build a lot of the Constructed decks, you need to have a lot of gems or, you know, a ways to make the cards and get the, the wild cards. And sometimes the deck you make in Standard may rotate out, whereas in Limited, always a set price, always the same set when you're when you're playing in, in Ranked. So I think for a lot of reasons, is actually easier in Limited. Limited does cost either gold or gems to do, so there is some cost associated. We're not going to go through today how the economy works or how to best leverage that stuff. There's been, you know, Limited Resources, they did an episode with Ryan Spain. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ryan Spain is sort of, I think his new moniker is Going Optimal, and he's talking about often how to sort of make the most out of your gems and gold, and I would definitely recommend checking out his stuff. And you can get gems back if you win enough, and if you have a high enough winner percentage, you're going to be able to essentially what people have said in Modo, go infinite, which is be able to continually play without ever having to lose gems. Sometimes you're even earning gems. And if you do your quests and everything, you can get enough gold and sort of keep it rolling. You can definitely keep it rolling. Yeah, you can at least make it a lot cheaper than it seems on the surface by just winning a decent amount. So uh, again, there's two ways to reach mythic there's two different mythics basically there's constructed and there's limited 
And like Jimmy said, we're going to focus a little more on limited because we think it's a little bit easier path. But let's talk about constructed really quick here. Yep. The first step to reaching Mythic in Constructed is you need to build at least one of the top tier decks. And we're talking about Standard specifically, yeah. so you can always look up what's legal in Standard to find out what's going on. But yeah, top tier deck is you have to build one of the best decks in the format. And usually in Standard, there are four to five decks that are rotating around that the best. Yeah, right now, and, and there are some decks I would say that are better than others to sort of increasing your rank because... The way that laddering works is, again, it's just that percentage thing. If you're just winning enough more than you're losing, you will climb ranks. You'll lose, yeah. you, you, you know, you might go up three steps, lose two games, then go up three steps, lose two games, but you've still just gained a little bit incrementally. And as long as you keep doing that, you, you will, will eventually, eventually reach there. Mythic. Now, because the way that system's set up though, there are some decks I think that are better for reaching Mythic than others because if you play control deck, let's say. Oh, you're gonna take a long time. Right, each, each of your games. games might be 20 minutes. And if your win percentage with that control deck is you know 58%, which is pretty good, mm -hmm. it, it still might be better to build like a mono red deck that's a 55% win percentage, but all your games are three or four minutes. Yeah, and that's going to save you, you know, over the course of an hour, you might be able to play three to four more games. Literally. Right, which is a lot if you're just trying to eke out a couple more wins mm -hmm. than losses over time. So I think the consensus sort of best decks to just get to Mythic are mono red aggro and mono blue. Uh, similar to what Autumn Burchett just won the Mythic right. Championship with. Those are both cheap decks to build. They don't have a lot of Mythics and Rares. Mm -hmm. And they're fast aggro decks, so they win fairly quickly. There's the mono white one as well, yep. which also had a pretty big showing at the last Pro Tour. So yeah, the mono color decks, one, you'll have to worry about expensive mana bases I as think well. that's a big reason makes them cheaper, yeah. Yeah, and also I think they're, you know... Playing a mono red aggro deck is hard. There are a lot of like small, intricate things that you need to do correctly. But at its baseline, sometimes it's actually simpler to learn because it's like you should be attacking pretty much every turn. Right. You know, you like the intricacies of how to get great at that deck. I think you'll learn as you ladder up. Yeah. I also think that it doesn't change a ton based on which deck you're facing, whereas a control deck right. will change more. You have to know more about your opponent's deck when you're playing yeah. control. That doesn't mean, yeah, like you said, I don't want to like disparage the aggro players. I, I think the difficulty level is about the same. But the big thing is time. If you have a mono red aggro deck, after four or five minutes, if you haven't won, you probably know if you even have a chance to. And a lot of times you're just like, nope, concede, go on to the next game. Yeah, totally. Just allows you to get maybe, you know, 15 games in an hour rather than three, which is a huge difference. Um, some good places to check for deck lists are um, on Twitter. There's a Twitter account called at Arena Deck Lists. Pretty simple. And this is run by our buddy Jerry Thompson mm -hmm. and the Game Podcast. And they just aggregate all the deck lists from all the pros and friends of Jerry and stuff that are reaching Mythic and getting, you know, maybe even into the high ranks of Mythic and post them for you and just sort of retweet or repost that stuff. And it's just a great place to go. Go to their mm -hmm. profile, scroll down, and you can find decks that are getting people to Mythic. Because it's way harder to just brew your own from scratch. Yeah, I, and I would not recommend that if no. you're trying to rank up. Now, I uh, know... Commander players, though, they think, like, I'm going to build my deck right, and I'm going right. to, you know... That's not how standard works. Yeah, here's the thing about standard. It is a format that gets quote-unquote solved very quickly because there's a limited number of cards and you have the best players in the game trying to figure out how to make the best decks for it. And then also like, okay, cool, now that this is the meta, what kind of control decks are going to be really good against it, et cetera. And so it's a very, it's diverse, but at the same time, it's also contained inside a bit of a box. And sure, you can build some cool stuff and maybe that'll help you out in the lower ranks to have more fun with it. But if you are serious about getting the Mythic, you need to build a deck that is known to be good because it's been tested and played by those people. There's no, and I, I know a lot of people hate net decking or whatever their preconceived notions about that are. It's, it's a game and it's a strategy game and it's based on winning. So if you want to win, you're going to need to play the best decks. Yeah, if you want to get to Mythic, it's just going to be way easier. I'm not saying it would be impossible to brew your own out of nowhere. It's sure, just yeah. much more difficult. And that doesn't mean you take their deck list and you and make no changes. One, like yeah. a lot of times, just because of card availability, I've been like, oh, I have 90% of that deck and I'm going to switch out these three cards just because that's what I have. Yeah. And that deck is like, okay, instead of a 57% one percentage, I went to like 56. It's fine. I'm not really going to notice that. So there is some amount of like mm -hmm. brewing you can do. But I would say starting from a tier one deck is the way to go with Constructed at Arena Decklist on Twitter. Also, speaking of Jerry um, Thompson, he has a really great podcast. It's called The Game Podcast. G-A-M? Uh, yeah. It's There's no E in the word game. I don't know why they did that. It makes it harder to find. But... 
Uh, Jerry, why'd you guys do that? Yeah, Jerry, come on, man. Put an E there so people can search you. But either way, if you look for them, I don't believe they're on iTunes, but I think they're on Stitcher. Mm -hmm. You can find them online if you just Google G-A-M, no E, podcast. Um, They talk about standard all the time. They're always, you know, Jerry's a well-known deck builder, and Mm -hmm. so they're always talking about the current decks and the current meta and things like that. They're a great resource for you. MTG Goldfish uh, is just a great website overall. If you're into like price tracking and stuff, it'll show you all that stuff as well. It's going to aggregate deck lists, 5-0 deck lists from Magic Gathering Online, from the leagues there. They have um, like a tier system of what they think are the tiered mm-hmm. decks in Arena. You know, currently they'll be like, oh, these are the five yeah. top tier decks. These are tier two. MTGA decks is another one. And also another way to just sort of get good information on the most current decks that are winning in in, uh, Arena are to follow all the MPL players on Twitter. Yeah, so like Ben Stark and... Oh, uh, Turnwall, Seth Manfield, LSV, Seth Manfield, Paolo, Vitor. Paolo, yeah. I don't think LSV's in there. I don't think LSV's player, in there, but, but yeah. he does play standard occasionally. Yeah. So. Um, but if you follow all the pros, and specifically the MPL people, because they are playing on Arena, they're streaming a lot because that's part of their contract, they are going to often post the deck list that they are currently playing. And trust me, if Huey Jensen's playing a deck, it's probably really good and you should be playing it. You probably yeah. can win with it. And also uh, on Twitch now, you can even highlight over the cards and they'll show you what the cards are. So, I mean, honestly... This is not to be understated. One of the best ways to get better at magic is watching people that are brilliant at it play it. That's and true. You can learn like, a lot. Just what, not just hey, what deck should I play, but how should I play that deck? How should I play it? How should I play it against certain matchups? And a lot of times the players will answer questions as well as just walk through. Hey, I'm going to do this here instead of this. I've been watching a lot of Owen Turnwald streams because of that. He Owen's way funnier than everybody thinks too. His stream oh, yeah. is great. Owen, yeah, it's it's great. I love the bravado and it's very entertaining. But he also does a great job walking through his plays and being like, "Oh, I should have done this here, and then I could have X, Y, and Z." And even me, as like a person that's played Magic for a while, has a t- hard time catching up and keeping up with what they're saying sometimes. But I always feel like I glean some information. You know, it's the same reason that like when I play League of Legends, I'll watch a League of Legends stream or I'll watch LCS because you have to watch and hear the commentary about why they're doing certain things, and it just gives you more. You know, it's like reading a book. You're gonna get better at something if you spend more time immersed in that world. So step one is behind you now. You've built a tier one deck or maybe a couple, depending on what your collection looks like. Or if you've just started out, you've seen which tier one deck you want to build towards and you have the base layer of it, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. You're in bronze. You don't have to have all the cards for the tier one deck right now. Just build a close approximation of it. And as you win games while you're ranking up, you'll get gold. You'll you'll get quests. Yeah, you get packs. And then you can turn that into more cards. And you know, like, this is the deck I'm trying to build. So you're not wasting your wild cards on, like, five different decks and not building one good one. Totally. Um, Okay, so you've built a tier one deck or two, and you're starting to rank up. Step two is you have to play a lot of games. It's It's a numbers game. And this can be daunting for people who haven't sort of participated in a ladder system before. It's a grind, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, and, and there's no other way around that. It's it's really common to sort of hit a wall somewhere around like mid-platinum. So you move at a pretty brisk pace, and then you get into platinum somewhere, and most players, I would say, start to hit a, a plateau they feel like where, man, I got through bronze, silver, and gold. It slowed down a little, but I was still moving at a brisk pace. I got to platinum basically no problem, and all of a sudden in platinum, you're like... <laughs> I feel like I'm not moving. I'm winning two games, then losing two games. I'm winning three games, then losing three games. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm losing four in a row sometimes and getting really discouraged. And it doesn't feel like I'm in. I'm not going from like platinum four to platinum three to platinum two. Like I'm not ranking through that system. That is just how, normal yep. in ladder systems. Yeah, yeah. It, it's how they Ima- work. Imagine it's a mountain that when it's bronze, it's pretty low elevation, not that not that steep of a hill. And the higher you get, the the harder it is to literally to climb. And, and as you get towards the more experienced players, which are going to be up towards those top ranks, you're going to naturally have sort of a tendency towards your win percentage isn't 75% anymore. So you were actually skewed early on thinking that you, you were just making your way through a lot of new players and people mm-hmm. that don't have a lot of cards. And now you reached a place where like people are more even to you. That doesn't mean you're bad or you're not, you can't get through it. It just means it's going to take a little bit more doing than it seemed like when you yeah. started out. Um, there's a tendency at this point, I think, to sort of, flip-flop around a bunch of decks, think like, oh, I can just find the perfect deck that'll get me back to my bronze and silver win rate. Nope. Yeah, no. If you have a tier one deck, and like we said, they're pretty well established if if it's on the arena deck list or somebody's recently reached Mythic with it, if MTG Goldfish says this is one of the tier one decks, that is going to be fine and it's going to have probably the same chance within a couple of percentage points to get you through this yeah. that anything is. So you waste time a lot of times in Platinum and I think a lot of players get stuck there because 
they just flip-flop around from decks. They start like, oh, I'm going to work towards building this other deck because I feel like the deck I have is just quote-unquote bad against anymore. the medic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where really, if you would just sit there, play more games, eke out your 4 or 5% advantage, and yeah. continue through, you could get out. And, and honestly, it gets a little easier once you get into like mid to high diamond. That mm. last little bit of the slog does get easier. But I found that like platinum and early diamond is like a real slog and you just kind of got to put your head down and get through it yeah and a lot of times let's say you do notice an actual trend which is like i'm playing against a lot of decks that have this in it you know it's in the best of one format you're gonna want to maybe alter your deck a little bit but don't like make massive overhauls i've seen a lot of people play like flavorful like fun ofs one of cards that are very good against the meta for instance it, it could be as easy as like i i need some kind of enchantment removal because it's just too hard for me to beat this one card i keep seeing it come up over and over again and maybe that's something you change momentarily. Maybe it's something you take out of the deck as soon as you're out of that range. But like, don't don't do huge overhauls. It's it may feel right in the moment, but it probably won't reward you. Definitely, I would say if you want to get to mythic and that's one of your goals, don't flip -flop just flip flop to a brand new deck and start building yeah. a brand new deck because seasons only last for so long. You only have so much time to get right. through it. And like stopping midway through building a brand new deck, and then guess what? you don't know that deck as well. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be worse at it at first. So it's actually going to hurt you. And even if it is a slightly better against the meta, which probably it's not, um, if it's another tier one deck. What's the it, what's the win percentage differential? It's yeah, not is it huge. two or three percentage? Because if it is, then you may as well have just spent all that time playing more games yeah. and eking out your little advantage there. And uh, a lot of it might just have to do with your own skill as well. Yeah, that's true. Maybe you just do need to get better. And pl playing the same deck will, will get you better. Yeah. Like, you'll know, like, oh, I'm in this position. What are the two cards I need to draw in a row to win? Okay, that's the only way I'm going to win. Then I have to play towards that out. One of the things I did, because I was playing mono red through, and when I got stuck in platinum, and it took me a little while to realize, when I was in the mono red mirror, I needed to pretend I was the control deck in those mirrors. And that allowed me to win a higher percentage of the mono red games. Right. So that was that was a big moment for me that like allowed me to get a couple more percentage points and sort of move through there. The last thing I want to say about this is, Laddering can be super swingy. It's not uncommon to lose 10 or even, you know, 15 games in a row. Just that's the way the cookie crumbles because you're not, if you're a 60%, mm -hmm. you can lose 10 in a row and still be a 60% player. Winner, yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's the way that sort of variance works. And I think a lot of people, they'll lose 10 in a row and it's just like, oh, I'm totally changing my deck. This deck sucks. Yeah. Also, don't let that tilt you off the face of the planet and make you play worse. Take a break. Take a break. Minute. Okay. Throw the paper behind you. So that's constructed. That's that's how we're going to go. That's as far as we're going to go with constructed. Yep. Uh, good luck. Grind it out. Build a tier one deck. You can do it. Plenty of places for you to look to. And again, I honestly, if you're having a real specific problem, go on a stream and be like, hey, Jerry, like this is what's happening. What do you suggest? And yep. maybe they'll see it. Maybe they won't. If they don't, no big deal. You can ask it again. You can ask it in someone else's stream. Maybe someone in chat will answer you too. But there are ways to get a lot of help out there and use the uh, resources we talked about earlier. Okay, now we're going to go move on to limited and specifically draft. And best of one draft, which I think is the only way at the moment to get um, mm -hmm. to li to limited mythic. In constructed, there is a best of three and a best of one, which I still think best of one is probably better if you're just, just speed. looking to get to mythic as fast as yeah. possible. But in draft, that's your only choice. And notably, by the way, best of one decks are going to be slightly different than best of three decks because yes. without the ability to sideboard, you need to change your deck a little bit to adapt for a larger meta. As, also, as Nexus of Fate is banned in best of one, but yes. not in best of three. So yes. the deck lists are different. So yeah, that's a good point. We're still talking about constructed here. Make sure when you look at a deck list on one of those other sites that if it's best of three, you're not trying to use it in best of one. Trust me, those people have figured out the differences between those two formats and, yep. you know, use the best of one decks in the best of one and the best of three and the best of three. And there's no shame in taking a deck from the internet and making it your own. Because again, a lot of the times you could put the best deck in the worst player's hands and they're not going to get a good percentage. It's about what's in here, guys. It's about what's inside. Okay. Now for real on to draft and limited. Uh, again, we think this is the easier path. I think it actually just takes less games in general to get there. Uh, because a lot of constructed is about what cards you have available to you. And yeah. draft is more about your skill at draft. Yeah. Um, also, specifically, I, I've found that not as many like top-level players are in the draft meta world because you know there's there was a huge thing trying to get to top 10 for constructed for the Mythic Championships at PAX East. And I, you'll find yeah, a lot more. There's these. no reward like that in limited, so there's yeah. not the incentive, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're going to see, I mean, I think in general, and I, this is me generalizing, I think the general quality of the player pool is slightly less than constructed, so it also means you're playing against an easier field. 
slightly. So if if you want to get that mythic rank, you just want to say you had it, you know, take a screenshot of it or whatever. I think draft is a, a slightly better way to do that. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about how to best navigate the draft a little. And then we're going to go over some arena-specific tips and tricks, maybe little exploits to give you that extra mileage, that extra edge. Yeah. So things to keep in mind here, we're talking about arena specifically. So Magic Online and real-life drafts do work differently, and not all this stuff, a lot of it won't be true. And we're talking about best of one, which is different than best of three Mm -hmm. uh, and does change how you do things. Yep. And I think knowing that gives you an edge over the other players that sort of... um, approach it as if it's the same as a paper draft or something like that. Yeah, totally. Your goal is to go five and three or better. Four and three is also fine, but... Oh, by the way, when you get to three losses, then your draft is over. Yeah, Yeah, you claim whatever prizes you have gotten up to, and then you have to do another draft, so... So you don't need a 7-0, a bunch of 7-0 drafts, and I think people get confused. They're trying to get the best possible deck, but what you actually want to do is get the most consistently good deck. You don't need a bunch of 10 out of 10 decks and a few one, you know, and by yeah. by that drafting style, sometimes you get a two or a one out of 10 because that's that's not going to help you. It, if you can just go four and three and five and three every time, you will reach Mythic and you'll do it fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to attempt to teach you how to draft on this episode either. We just, there's not time to do that. So no. if you're totally unfamiliar with drafting, you don't know how it works, well, limited resources is probably the best place for you to go. Marshall Sutcliffe and uh, LSV every single week for years and years now have been talking about limited, and they can really bring you up to speed. And also, uh, they're the reason I'm good at limited in, in any ways by listening to the podcast. They're, they're the reason this podcast exists. They're actually the reason we have a podcast. So yeah. yeah, shout out to Marshall. And then the Lords of Limited is another podcast with a couple of um, MTGO grinders that they just play literal hundreds of drafts on each format, and they just know a ton about it. Yeah, uh, Ethan and Ben. And so both of those podcasts are great places if you're less familiar with drafting, you're trying to get caught up. Um, one last thing. The big thing that's different in drafting arena that's different than MTGO and IRL is that you are not drafting against other humans. So normally what a draft is, you have three booster packs in front of you. You're sitting around a table of eight people total and everyone's passing cards to each other. In this format, you're drafting against computers that have algorithms that help them determine what card is best, what card is open, what cards are, you know, and that is going to determine a lot of things. And we'll talk a little bit about that later as well. Yeah, you're drafting against bots. You're drafting against AI. Yeah. Um, and there are ways to play that to your advantage. There are actually yeah. quite a few ways if you know the intricacies to sort of eke out advantage that way, which I think is no different than trying to eke out advantage from human opponents mm-hmm. by like... totally by like knowing cards that most people underrate or things like that, you can know that about the bots too. Yeah. Um, I think they actually might program that into the bots as well, that they'll underrate certain cards if they're maybe. in a certain format, you know, or certain colors. All right, we have a lot more to talk about reaching Mythic in Arena, but before we do, a quick message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and we're back. We're talking about how to reach the mythic rank in Magic Arena. So let's talk about, um, we're going to talk specifically about Ravnica Allegiance here because it is the most recent thing. And 
I think the way the bots are right now, they change, but for future um, sets and things like that, you'll still be able to find those exploits that are probably similar to what's going on now. I think yeah. there's always going to be some level of that, just the way AI works. So I think the best guilds in order are the Esper Shard guilds, so either Orzhov or Azorius. I think Azorius is slightly stronger, but they're close. I like to be in some combination of those colors if I can. Mm -hmm. I think the second best guild, and this is where I, I sort of detour from what a lot of people are saying. This is for Arena specifically. I think the second best, sorry, it's really third best, right? Orzhov, Azorius, Esper Shard, some mix of black, white, and blue. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, I actually think it's not black blue. Right. Because <laughs> Demir is Demir's not. Demir is not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the second best guild, I actually think for Arena is Rakdos. Mm -hmm. I've had a ton of success drafting Rakdos guilds on Arena and just consistently being able to at least 5 3 with them. Yeah. And for me, I've 7 0 the most with Rakdos. Uh, in general, just building hyper aggressive decks. Yep. Decks that are streamlined, decks that aren't trying to do anything fancy, cast big spells, sit there and wait to adapt and do stuff like that. You're just crashing in with menace creatures, you're pumping them up, you've got combat tricks, and it's very hard for people to stand up to that and slow you down sometimes. Yeah. Because there's a lot of sort of, it's known as a slower format. So people mm -hmm. aren't prepared for the aggressive decks. In, in uh, Guilds of Ravnica, the Boros deck was known to be very strong. And when you drafted, you had to know. I'm going to face some Boros deck, so I have to be able to beat it. Rakdos, right. I think, isn't as widely played, and people aren't worried about it. So when you come in with a pretty decent Rakdos deck, it's best of one. Yeah. They just don't have time to adjust to it, and, and you can get a lot of wins. And notably, Rakdos shares black with uh, Orzov, and the, there are a lot of very quality black cards out there, um, especially removal. Yeah, um, I think so. black is the best color in the set, basically. Yeah. I, I find myself first picking black cards more often than not. That's probably why we both end up in Rakdos, is because you, you're like, oh, I'm going to take a black card, because I can go into Orzov or Rakdos. Mm -hmm. Both are good. Or I can even sort of switch into Azorius and splash the black card. So because you know i can be in that esper shard so yeah. that just gives you a lot of leeway i think simic is in paper i think most people think simic's like the second or third best guild on arena i think it's still good you can still draft it but i think it's uh the fourth best here and then i think gruel brings up the the back end but i want to say i think you can build good decks in all the colors i don't think it's yes, like yes i agree yeah i don't think it's like guilds of ravnica where you didn't want to be celestia and you didn't want to be a golgari basically ever um <laughs> Although in Arena, I think Celestia ended up being okay if you just forced it every time. But I think all these, a decent version of these, will get you to that 4-3-5-3. Three, three. Mm -hmm. So you can draft all of them, but that's the order that we kind of like. Um, also, we have a note. You mostly want to be straight two-color, maybe with a small splash, but most of the time, especially Rakdos. Rakdos, you don't want to splash at all. At all, yeah. yeah. You need to be very focused. Again, and the, the big thing I want to keep harping on is we want to go five and three. We don't want to draft the perfect deck because it's just not possible. So you want to deck, draft a deck that's consistent, that has the right pieces, and you're not clinging on to some dream that's going to hurt you down the line when you actually end up playing the format. Um, we're going to go over the best commons here in each color just to give you a roadmap real quick of... You know, when in, when in doubt and you're not sure, it's good to know what the best common is because you can just grab that and never feel too bad. So in yep. black, it's Blade Juggler. Yep, which or Ill-Gotten Gains, or Ill-Gotten Inheritance, which was the one that drains. Ill-Gotten Inheritance. Inheritance, yeah. Blade Juggler is pretty universally um, thought of as the best common period in the whole set. Uh, in blue, it's Chillbringer. Chilly B. In red, it's Skewer the Critics, mm -hmm. which is the Spectacle Lightning Bolt. In green, it's Soraform Hybrid. And in white, it's Summary Judgment. So um, something important to notice here, guys. Skewer the Critics, Summary Judgment, and Chillbringer are all forms of removal right. or at least tempo-based or something in a way. So it, again, removal is always important. And the bots even think the other best black card is going is to be removal. a removal spell, yeah. Yeah. And all, I also want to say in a lot of sets, it's not advisable. And I think people who draft a lot kind of have this notion hammered into their head that like early on, you don't want to take two color cards that's like way different. Like if I take a black card, then I can pair black with multiple other colors. But if I take a black and white card, I have to be specifically black and white to play yeah, that card. Yeah. I think in this set and in Guilds of Ravnica, that's not as true because you're not even going to be able to draft all the 10 color combinations. So if you take a black card, you are only going to pair with red or only going to pair with white, right? Mm -hmm. Because those are the two guilds that are available in this set. So I think it's much easier and totally fine to take powerful two-color cards as pack one, pick ones. So these are cards like Mortify, mm -hmm. which is probably the best uncommon in the set. Uh, Savage Smash, Law Mage's Binding, Consecrate Consume is a really good one. 
all of those are removal spells, Jimmy. Yeah, even Collision Colossus I found is, is good, especially in the best one format, because if you're playing green or red, you can just get rid of a flyer. Yep. Right? So that that is very helpful there, too. So don't be scared to first pick a two-color card. It's more likely you're going to be able to play it because you're shooting for one of five different color combinations mm. instead of one of ten. Yeah. Uh, and also... The guild gates make it easy to splash. So even if you're in more, you grab that mortify, which is black and white, and you end up in an Azorius. If you grab a couple guild gates and maybe a gateway plaza, you can even splash that card. You're very rarely going to play it on turn three, right? Because right? it's a three mana removal spell, and a lot of times you want to get rid of enchantments with that thing too, right? Um, so, so yeah, it's I it's first, fine to play it on I turn seven. I first picked that thing a lot. Yeah. Now there are a lot of cards in Ravnica Allegiance that are two color, but there's two colored mana symbols of each color. So it'd be like black, black, white, white for Basilica Ghost Hunt. I that's right. so what it's called. The or red, CCDD red, black, black. Cards, as yeah, we call yeah. Them. yeah. Those you want to avoid taking first because. Thrilled Mystic is another one. They're incredibly hard to play if you're trying to splash it. And I would never recommend doing that. And doing so really locks you into that color. And if it doesn't, if those colors don't happen to be open down the line, then you're going to find yourself in a really bad position. Yeah, that's a really good point is those CCD cards, double blue, double green. Is way you, you can't splash it basically. You have to yeah. be in Simic to play Frilled Mystic. Also, looking at all those cards, there are oftentimes a lot of cards that are just one of those two colors that are actually better, right? In a lot of ways, and easier to cast, right? Easier. To those splash cards are great if to. you're like, oh, I'm in Orzhov, yeah, uh, and now it comes around fifth or sixth pick, then they're awesome. All those cards are very strong, but, and you know now that no one else is in yeah. Orzhov too, which is important. But I wouldn't want to first pick any of them, yeah, unless the pack was horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really good note. Uh, th- there is actually a sixth deck. It's the gate deck. And this used to be on Arena very early on. People pinpointed like the bots did not know about this deck or had it way down in their pick order. It must and have been so way down in the pick order, yeah. It was really easy to get it every time. And now they've fixed that and the bots are taking gates higher and they're taking what we call the gate payoff cards higher. Yeah. And so the deck's harder to get, but it is a real deck and sometimes you still can get it. I've been drafting a lot of Arena recently and I have noticed that a lot of these cards are still going around. So. You just don't see, like, they'll take them sometimes so you don't get yeah. all of them like you used to. So the gate payoff cards are the big ones. This is Gatebreaker Ram, which is the green 2-2 that gets plus one, plus one for every gate you have and then eventually gets Trample and Vigilance. If you have two gates, it's a 4-4 Trample Vigilance for three mana. And if that you go just gate, keeps gate, going up. Gatebreaker Ram, it's a 4-4. Then you play your gate on turn four. It's, it's a 5-5 five, five. Vigilance Trample attacking. Like, it's very hard yeah. to get rid of. And that thing will take over games but not as much as gate colossus gate colossus i think potentially is... the best card in the entire set i'm it's, not it's, it's good, good in non-gate decks <laughs> if you have one gate in your deck i would still play a gate if you had no gates in your deck i would still play gate colossus i would think about it because you know so gate colossus is an eight eight for eight, for eight but it costs one less for each gate you have so you can and, potentially well, like, play it for like four and five yeah and, but the thing people overlook <laughs> that i think is the biggest is thing the nuttiest part about this card. well there's two things but i think the nuttiest yeah, yeah. is that you cannot block it with creatures power two, two or, or less, less. so it it's like an unblockable set. eight eight because there are tons of power two or less in fact all of azorius and orzov which are the best two guilds can't block the card yeah, basically very rarely can yeah. they block this card um all of the afterlife when it's spitting out one one tokens gate colossus just walks Whatever, right you over can't them block yeah. it. so it's unblockable eight eight also if you play a gate and it's in your graveyard, you can choose to take it from your graveyard and put it on top of your library. So it's also it. a recurrable yeah. thing. Now, obviously, it takes your draw step. It's not card advantage. But if it's if Jimmy just said it's one of the best cards in the entire set, to be able to just keep drawing it every turn is very, very powerful. So yeah, yeah Gate Colossus uh, is really good. Gates of Blaze is a board wipe that does damage to each creature equal to the number of gates you have. Right. That's a very strong card because gates decks tend to be slow because you're playing tap lands. Mm-hmm. And so a lot and of times... oftentimes more than two colors. Right. And so a lot of times you're just a little bit behind the curve. Gates of Blaze destroys their whole board. And then you just three for one or four for one them. And it's very hard to lose from that position. Another thing about Gate Colossus is sometimes when you're redrawing it off the top of your deck, you can play Gates of Blaze and then Gate Colossus for two mana. Right. And then you can still do something else on top of that, right? So like the Gate Colossus is just... It's one of those things that there are very few cards in Limited that when you play it, just it, on its face says you have two turns to to do something to beat yeah. this. Otherwise, you will die to it, right? And so, like, opponents have to answer it. Even if you're draining a removal spell out of their hand, I've had games where my opponents knew I had Gate Colossus, so I played into a removal spell because I knew I was going to get it back, and then they could play another better creature in that situation, like a flyer, that they're like, crap, maybe I should have waited for that instead. So there's lots of different reasons why Gate Colossus is just an absolute bomb. Uh, another gate payoff that's really good is Archway Angel. You gain two life when it enters the battlefield for each gate you have. Again, gate decks tend to be slightly slower. Yeah. And so just be able to, like, I play this, I gain eight life, and then I stabilize, right? Because you and were trying to race me. And things, too. Yeah, and yeah. it's a good blocker. 
Um, and then Gateway Sneak is like a Shadow Mage Infiltrator. It's a 1-3 that when it deals combat damage to the opponent, you draw a card. But if you play a gate, that turn it's unblockable. So yep. it's a card draw. I think that's sort of the worst of the gate payoffs, but it's still good. Well, yeah, being able to draw a card consistently off of Gateway Sneak is very, it feels very, very bad. The one thing I'll say about the gate deck is you need to take the gate payoffs and the gates very highly. It's yeah. harder to get. You used to be able to get 12 to 14 gates pretty easily, and now it's tougher to do, but you can still get... Eight to nine, I found this. If you want to, yeah. and you're just take like whatever, I'll take this Rakdos Guild Gate. And at a certain point, if you've got a Gateway Colossus, a Gatebreaker Ram, and an Arch- Archway Angel, then gates become really good in your deck, and you'll take them over most like Almost moderate card, playables. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've I've had packs where I take a gate first pick, um, and then as soon as I see a gate payoff card, I snatch it up immediately. I don't even look at the rest of the pack because I just know it's that important. Uh, but there are definitely going to be guides online as well as well as people that have done the gate draft. If you want to check that out. Yeah, and speaking of watching things online, and we talked about this earlier, this is another place where you should watch the pros. You should look at their live streams on Twitch. You should watch their VODs. Uh, You can find their draft videos on YouTube. They're going to go over their drafts, why they pick what they pick, and Mm -hmm. why they make the plays that they play. Ben Stark is is one of the greatest limited players of all time, and he's streaming all the time now. A really good resource is Owen Turtonwall and those other people they they do constructed a lot but they'll do drafts sometimes ben yeah. stark i know was doing draft like all the time so yeah kenji also as well oh, yeah is kenji's a, very a great one. yeah great person to watch uh, i think caleb has done some drafts as well caleb d mtg so lots of great players out there as well as just full-on videos that that challenge release that are like how to draft the gate deck i bet if you look that up right now you can find a video how to do it okay so you've drafted your deck you know hopefully you're an esper or rakdos or maybe you got the gate deck there's some stuff we want to talk about that's um, Ravnica Allegiance specific here because it does create a lot of interesting gameplay scenarios. So one of the reasons I think Simic is maybe not as good is because a lot of people play it wrong mm-hmm. and it leads you to... Um, play less powerful, thi- not as many threats because you're waiting to use their activated abilities and It stuff. leads people to sort of, when you make a mistake, you get blown out. Because yeah. if you have, say, Soraform Hybrid, which is a two mana 2-2, two, two, but then you can pay six mana and adapt four, so it becomes a 6-6... Six, six. A lot of players get into a situation where, you know, I'll bait them into adapting so that I can then destroy it at instant speed. And they basically time walk themselves. You know, if you final payment or you uh, arrestor's admonition, which is the bounce spell, or you uh, Titanic you know, mortify, Brawl, mortify. There's a whole bunch of ways to get blown out. Um, watch out when you're playing Simic. Know when to adapt. Know when they have mana open. A lot of times, if they have mana open, it's not correct to adapt because that'll lose you the game right there. Yeah. I spent six mana, they destroyed my creature, and now I just, they basically took an extra turn. They just cast Nexus of Fate, a and very the, powerful card. Yeah, exactly. Um, in general, you want to develop your board out and and not be afraid to trade away some adapt creatures as well. Just because it can become something bigger later on doesn't mean you should be like playing to that specifically. Yeah, I see that mistake constantly. People draft good Simic decks that are probably better than my decks, but I still win the game because they stick their neck out a little too far with adapt at the wrong moment. It only takes one or two instances of that happening. Just oftentimes one for yep. the game to be thrown away. Yep. Um, when to trade off your afterlife creatures or when to trade off with your opponent's mm-hmm. afterlife creatures. I see a lot of players incorrectly not blocking and trading with afterlife creatures and just letting the thing deal like eight damage just to them because they are like, them. I don't want you to have the one, one, one flyer. Yeah. Or like, I can't deal with that one, one, one flyer right now, but it's like, well, no, that's not the way to think about it. Yeah. Do I want to take, look at your hand. How long is it going to take you to deal with the two, one? Mm-hmm. If you have a two, three in your hand, fine. Don't block it. Cause next time I play next turn, I'm going to play the two, three and that blanks yeah. the two, one and, and I at least can block it for free now. But if you're looking at your hand and you're like, well, that two, one's going to hit me three times before just block and trade. Yeah. Give them the 1-1. One, one, deal with the 1-1 one, one later. It's a lot slower of a clock. Yeah. The afterlife player is going to be incentivized to attack to get the 1-1s, one, and you're going to need to figure out when the best time is to block it because it's either you take 8 damage over 4 turns or you take no damage over the first turn and then like 1 damage in the air in the next 3 turns. Right. It's a much better trade-off to take just that 1 pinger in the air. Also, it only has 1 power, so it's not as good of a blocker if you're able to go on the offensive at some point. Yeah. I think people are way, way too reticent to give the 1-1 one, one you know, to block the afterlife creature and trade because it does feel bad. You're like, uh, I'm losing card, they're losing card, but yeah. at the end of it, they have a 1-1 flyer. But a 1-1 flyer is not a full card worth of value. It's yeah. a piece of a card. The so. same goes for death touch creatures. I found a lot of people really reticent to block a death toucher because they're like, well, I don't want to lose my creature because I, I should be able to block this 1-2 better. But it's like, no, you, you like, for instance, there's a, um, a card that you play black and it gets death touch. 
I've just swung in for free with that thing hundreds of times yeah. now, I feel like, and people haven't blocked it, even with creatures that could easily block it in, that, in like a 2-2 because they just don't want to trade off a better creature for what they see as lower. But what you're doing is you're forcing me to use the black mana. You might be slowing me down a little bit. Just don't let your opponent get away with things, and it's okay to, to trade cards in this in this format. Like, you're, you're, you're going to be better off for it than just continually taking the damage. You also got to think, like, if you've got a that 1-2 Death Toucher, wh what cards in my deck are going to get me out of this situation without trading a creature. Yeah, exactly. And do I want to use those cards on the 1-2 Death Toucher? I'd rather just use my 2-3 or my 2-2 or whatever I've got and mm -hmm. just like, hey, listen, whatever, let's trade right now to get that thing off the table. So maybe if yeah. I play a 4-4 four, four later, it's not facing down a Death Toucher. I've seen know? the same thing with Plague White, a creature that when it becomes blocked gives the other creature minus one, minus one. They call it 2-1 unblockable because nobody wants to block it. No one it. wants to block yeah, it. Just If you can trade with it, just do it. Just trade with it, yeah. yeah. Unless you're the aggressive deck. But usually the Plague White decks are in the Rakdos decks, and they are the aggressor. Yeah. And you should just trade away. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Addendum's a really weird one because it wants you to cast instants during your turn for extra value. But a lot of times, and I, I see players make this mistake, Addendum's great, right? Arrestor's Admonition is the, is the one I'm thinking of. It's two and a blue. It bounces target creature. And if you did it on your turn, you draw a card. Mm-hmm. But there are many times when I'll still want to cast it at instant speed because the Soraform hybrid thing, that's way better than me drawing a card. That's going to win me the game, right? Yeah. If they adapt it. And if they don't, maybe I have something else to do. Or maybe, you know, I they was going to take that risk. They go fight your creatures with Savage Smash. Yep. Like you, yeah, you definitely, look, it's, it's fun to get the additional text on it. But the card by itself, two in the blue bounce creature at instant speed, is also a card that I would play in any limited format. So sometimes you just kind of like close your eyes a little bit and be like, it's still really good here, so I should be using it. The extra value you're going to get from the other turn is it as good as now taking five extra damage because they cast the pump spell sphinx's insights another one where you can draw two at instant speed but if it's during your turn you gain two life yeah a lot of times against a smart player just holding up the mana and making so they don't adapt even if you don't have anything else is worth it you lose the two life sure that you would have got but at the same time you gain it because they didn't make a play that would have been easy to make if you were tapped mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. stuff like that um you put a cool uh category here which is what to play around so when oh, we're yeah. drafting ravnica allegiance what are some cards you're thinking about they might have and there are a lot of them uh there are a lot of cards with flash in this set um one of the one that one of the ones that has gotten me a lot even though at sometimes i'm like i think they have this i'm still going to attack anyway is fairy duelist which yeah. is one in the blue it's a one two flyer that when it enters the battlefield a target creature gets minus two minus zero until end of turn so this thing will come down when, you're, when you think you're swinging with an awesome attack it's going to come down it's going to make a creature smaller and then all of a sudden they can double block it not trade anything and kill your creature really good against those death touchers huge swing Right, and and they, you know, this set is built really well because they have cards like this that can interact with the Death Touchers and the other things. Um, same thing goes for Slime Bind. It's an enchantment with Flash that gives a creature minus four, minus zero. So honestly, a lot of times, don't if you don't want to lose a creature and you think your opponent might have it, what is the extra one, two, three damage you're going to deal there as opposed to just losing a card outright? So I would just be careful. Always play around stuff. Frilled Mystic. It's That's a, a big one. it's a creature that can counter you. It's a green, green, blue, blue creature. That one's really easy to predict if it's coming up because if they just leave four man open, have a ton of cards in hand, they, yeah. you know, what else start do they have if nothing to play there? Yeah. yeah. That's another place where I'd be like, oh, I'm going to hold my Sphinx's insight then. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'd rather have the two life, but I'm not going to play into Frill Mystics. I'm going to pass the turn. And if they do nothing, great. They just wasted their whole turn. Maybe they'll just flash it in to get a 3-2 onto the board, in which case, now I can cast my Sphinx's Insight and get it through. Yeah, and a lot of times, too, you want them to cast something and, and just get minimal advantage out of it. Because, like, sure, they'll cast a Slime Binder creature, but they're going to cast it anyway. And if they can do it in a way that doesn't have you lose the creature outright, then even better. Another thing, and I think not enough people sort of consider this, is spectacle cost. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing against a Rakdos deck or a deck that has either black or red, when they make an attack... If you can, like, trade or whatever, it's a lot of times better to do it, even though, yeah, it's like the Plague White thing you were talking about. Yeah, I'd rather keep my creature, but if they spectacle here, they're going to Blade Juggler for three, which I'd rather just trade my 2-2 two -two for their 2-2, two -two, even though, hey, I got a Soraform hybrid. That's going to be a 6-6 six -six later, but it's going to set them so far behind if they don't get to spectacle something right yeah, now. Yeah, they're going to yeah, have to yeah. make a much worse play, and I still get a one-for-one one, uh, that a lot of times I will trade against the, the black and the red decks thinking that, oh, they're trying to get spectacle here. They're trying to enable spectacle here. Yep. So it's just something to consider. Okay, now to the fun part. We're going to talk about arena-specific tips and tricks, and maybe some would call them exploits. Because arena is different, you're drafting against bots um, and not other people, you can notice patterns 
there are cards that the bots are underrating and they're gonna do that on a consistent basis. So if I sit down with seven human beings, even if I know Jimmy you know, likes this card or doesn't like this card, a lot it's of things- color or whatever, yeah. Right, but I don't know, Jimmy might have first picked a rare in the color, even, even though I know Jimmy underrates, you know, Blade Juggler or whatever. Well, I don't know that he took a Spawn of Mayhem first pick and now Blade Juggler is looking pretty great to him. Yeah. But the bots don't really work that way. It seems as if they just have a predetermined pick order and they just go down it. And I don't even think they're building comprehensive decks. I don't think the bots are like, if you looked at the decks of the bots oh, drafted at the awesome. end. Yeah. No, I don't even think they'd be playable. I don't think they've I, got like a yeah. green blue deck. I think what it is is like, okay, open the pack, find the best card in the pack in terms of pick order, take it. Yep. And then next pack, is there a color that matches that? And what's the pick order of that? Best I don't even color? know if they do the color matching thing. I think they have to to some degree. Otherwise, you would not, you wouldn't get any signals ever. You don't. I, I do don't get think, a lot of signals. I don't think you do. I, I think that a lot of times late in the pack, you'll see like Blade Juggler. Per se, and it doesn't mean that blacks open. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah, mean anything. I, I think so, I, I'm not sure exactly how they do it, and this is something that no one will ever be able to fully figure out because it's something that the uh, programmers need to keep very close to the heart, otherwise people would exploit it. But yeah, I feel like there is some pick order that is preferential on color because I, you know, certain cards where I'm like this card, I don't think anyone at the table is drafting it. They'll still take based on. Well, I mean, sorry, I, I think someone's in this like thing to my left. Then they'll they'll definitely take like a, a blue, blue, green, green card if they happen to be a blue, blue, green. I feel like. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think you see less rares get passed, and I think that's one of the reasons they do it because um, drafting could otherwise be a really good way to sort of Rare scam drafts. scam the system a little bit and get more rares. Mm -hmm. And I think that they want the bots taking the rares just so that a player doesn't get like ten rares in a draft and sort of screw their whole economy. Either way, we we have no idea. Right, but. Right. If but anyone has angled evidence, then let us know as well in the comments. There are patterns you can notice. So one thing I really have noticed a lot is that on uh, Ravnica Allegiance specifically, the bots just don't like the card High Alert. Or Dovin's Acuity. Those cards are always in the same pack because there is an uncommon print run. Uh, and so you can actually tell what uncommons were there if you play enough. Mm -hmm. Dovin's Acuity is another really good card. Both of those decks are, those are build around me enchantments. Mm -hmm. And so I think like knowing that those cards are not going to be taken by the bots. You can sort of hedge towards um, those decks if you're near those colors towards the end of the pack. Because normally for a build around me enchantment, you need to take it early and then build around it, right? But if you know no one else at the table is ever going to take it if they open it, you can kind of pre-build around it in case it gets open. So right. I'm talking about things like Senate Griffin. Courier. Courier. Senate yeah. Courier, which, oh yeah, Senate Griffin's the 3-2, right? Mm -hmm. Senate Courier is the 1-4 flyer for 3, which in the high alert deck, because it's a butt-fighting deck... Becomes a 4-4. Four, 4-4 four. Four, four flyer for 3, which is insanity. In yeah. So what I do is like somewhere around turn or pack 10 or so, if I see a Senate Courier, even though I don't have a high alert, I'm going to probably take one or two and just say, well, if a high alert does get opened at this table, it's going to get passed to me. Yeah. And I, so I'm just getting ready. And th maybe I don't play those if I if I don't end up getting one, but I'm not wasting a really important pick. Yeah, at a certain point too, like probably around pick 10 or 11, there'll be no cards in the pack you can even take. So then you're going to want to hedge towards the ones that be like, well, if the higher alert does get opened and I want to go into that deck, I'm, I should take this card over just a random one in the pack. Yeah, Junk Troller is one where like late in the pack, I'll just sort of take it. Uh, Tower Defense too, yeah. if, if you're able to splash green. Uh, Goblin Gathering is another card that I yeah. that the bots never take, and I think this is actually the reason that the Rakdos decks I've I've had so mm -hmm. much success with them. A lot of my best decks have been decks with six to seven Goblin Gatherings in them. Whoa, I've never seen six to seven in any I draft. Saw, I saw ten from somebody online the other Jeez. day. Like, yeah, the bots just will not take Goblin Gathering basically, and so if around. You know, 10, 11, I can grab one, and maybe I saw one go by earlier, and I'm pretty sure it's going to come back. If I have two coming out of pack one, and I'm in Rakdos, now I'm going to start taking Burn Brights and Cavalcade of Calamities, because if you get to four Goblin Gatherings, the format just doesn't have great answers for it. There's basically no. Cry of the Carnarium, which nobody plays. And Ethereal Absolution. Well... We're going to talk about Theory Law of Solution. You, you, you can't play around that card. I've lost so many times that <laughs> yeah, card. That card's brutal. Um, but Goblin Gathering is a very powerful card. Uh, in paper, I think less so because people will just kind of hate draft it later on. Just yeah. like, hey, if I get one of these out of here, then anybody who's drafting that is just one less. But the bots won't do that. And so yep. if you go like turn three Goblin Gathering, turn four Goblin Gathering, you don't even have to go turn five Goblin Gathering. A lot of times you can just swing on turn five and then burn bright yeah. and just win right there. I'm, I've or, won a ton of games. Or put them to like two life where they basically have no way to win. I had a game the other day where someone thought collapsed me. 
uh-huh. milled three goblin gatherings. <laughs> and then I cast it on my turn three. You get like what? And I got like five, five goblins. goblins? Yeah, that's And then hilarious. I burned right the next turn and won. And they were like, wow. what the heck? Wow. Yeah. Rigged. <laughs> um, Soraform hybrid. We talked about this a lot already. One in the green, two, two. You can adapt four to make it a six, six. It goes late, always. Super late. And like just a two, two for two is one of the most important cards in the limited deck, I think, just to have something to play on those early turns. And this is one of the best upsides for a two, two for two that you can find out there. It turns into a six, six. It's the best common in green, and you'll often see it like 12th, 13th pick. Yeah. So that's a card where I would try and, like, I've heard very good players. I think somebody from Lords of Limited said, oh, yeah, if I could get 23 Soraform hybrids and 17 Forests, I would run that deck. Uh. And I think it, <laughs> that deck would be awesome. Yeah. Because I'm just going to curve totally out and then turn all my creatures into big creatures, and what are you going to do about it? Yeah, totally. So that's a card that goes super late. Um, okay. So those are cards I would look for and and sort of ways I would steer. Dovin's Acuity is another one you mentioned where like I might take some instants late. Mm-hmm. Although the good ones tend to not go late, so it's harder to build towards Dovin's Acuity. But yeah. like grabbing the Junk Trollers and the Senate Couriers and maybe the Concordia Pegasuses and stuff super late in the first pack, yeah. just leave yourself open to High Alert, I think is pretty powerful. And you see a lot of High Alert decks on the ladder once you start once you get to like 3-0 or so. Um Okay, Yeah. this is a good tip you had that I didn't even think about. Yep, don't be afraid to just get out of there. Let's say you draft an absolute pile of a deck. It's just not good. You know it's not good. There's colors everywhere. You have really bad cards you're playing. You don't need to play that deck. You don't need to risk losing more rank, right? Sure, maybe you want to run one with it to see if it is as bad as you thought it was, but going to get three losses on that deck may not actually be something that you want to do if you're trying to rank up. So if you're able to expense the gems, then you can just resign right there and just redraft again and get a better deck with a better chance to get you five, six wins. And maybe you took like a, a couple mythics that you needed for your constructed deck or whatever, and that's mm-hmm. you got your value that way. I often will play the first couple because the way that the uh, that the uh, the pairing system works your first game is against just anybody who's 0-0. Zero, zero. And mm-hmm. then if you lose, your next game is going to be against somebody else that lost. And if you lose two, you're going to be against somebody else that lost twice. And you have a really good chance to win that game. But if I know I have a really bad deck, somewhere around 2-2 two, two or 3-2, three, two, I would probably think about. And I actually did this, uh, I think, only once when I was trying to get to Mythic the first time. Because you had mentioned it. And I was like, oh, that's smart. And I was like, yep, yeah. this deck sucks. I'm very likely to lose my next game. I'm just going to resign, go into a new draft, and I'm not going to give up the loss in rank. Yeah, and and like let's say it was a difference between going 2-2 and 3-2. Like how many more gems are you going to win as opposed to if you're really trying to grind to Mythic, then just do that. Right. If if you're, you know, worried about value and and stuff like that, then, you know, play it all the way out, of course. Okay, here's something that I started doing, and it's best of one. You can't sideboard, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you kind of can. You can edit your deck at any time. Yes. So in between games, you can, quote unquote, sideboard. Now, you're not sideboarding against the known, right? You're not sideboarding against the player I just played. However, Mm -hmm. as you win more games, you start to notice things. So like I said, high alert decks tend to be very good decks in this format because of the way the bots operate. And so as I start to get up towards four wins, five wins, I start to see more high alert decks. Yep. In which case, I'm much more likely to side in enchantment removal somewhere around four or five wins. I'm just like, oh, my white deck, I'm going to take something out. I'm going to put in an exposed to daylight. Yeah. Because if a lot of times if you remove their high alert, their deck is done. Yeah. It's just bad. They got right. a bunch of one fours. Yeah. And, and, you know, if they don't have two, and often they do not, that's just it. And once you get towards six wins, seven wins, that's when your chance of hitting Ethereal Absolution is it's very high. Rocket. Because if somebody has Ethereal Absolution, this is the sort of Elishnorn enchantment, right? It gives all oh, your opponent's creatures negative one, negative one, and all your creatures plus one, plus one. Plus, it, <laughs> it removes things from their, from graveyards and makes one, one flyers, which are two, two flyers because of the Ethereal mm-hmm. Absolution. It's your a, opponent can't even make afterlife tokens to block it because they immediately die because they're one ones. It's oppressively strong. However, if someone has that in their deck, they're going to win games because mm-hmm. you cast that card and you immediately win a large number of games where it hits the table. Yeah, your percentage chance of winning that game skyrockets. <laughs> it goes up so high. As a result, as you get towards the top levels, the six wins, the seven wins, you're going to start running into Ethereal Absolution at a higher rate mm-hmm. because 
Ethereal Absolutions get to the six and seven wins very much more often because they have that card in the deck. Yeah. And so as I get up there, I might even side in if I have them to enchantment removal spells and pre and sort of get ready to face those decks because I know the high yeah. alert decks are still going to be up there. Ethereal Absolution. Plus, you've got like Theater of Horrors, Guardian Project. There's a bunch of good enchantment based rares. And if people have those, those uh, cards, they probably won games and probably yeah. are near the top. Yep, and you'll also see more Gate Colossuses as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. There. That's a really good point. Um, I'd say one last thing, and this is uh, more just set-specific, but make sure you learn the sets so that when an opponent's holding up mana, you know what the options could be. And it, it seems like a daunting task, but once you spend a few you know hours playing the set, you're going to learn it really quickly. They have one in the wide-up. What could it be? It could be Sentinel's Mark. It could be the um, uh, Summary Judgment. judgment. Yep. Uh, if it's something in the blue, it could be this, it could be that, you know. So just knowing those things is going to help your win percentage a lot because oftentimes a lot of these games do come down to one or two mistakes that end up swinging the game in your opponent's favor. All right. To the listeners, have anybody out there reached Mythic in either Constructed or Limited or both? Do you have any tips for those who haven't? Mm -hmm. And if you haven't reached Mythic and you're struggling to rank up, what's causing you the most problems? What, uh, what questions do you have? Maybe we can help answer them or our community can help you there. That's right. And of course... If you want to get off of Arena and into the real world and play some real magic, well, it's all real magic. Sorry, real magic with real people. Sorry, it's all with real people. Commander is what you meant. Yeah, if you want to play real Commander, magic. that's right. Make sure you head on over to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's our affiliate link. All you do is type it in, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. The easiest thing in the world to do. You don't need to enter any passwords, anything special. Once you do that, you're on the site. You're using our affiliate link. Shop away, find ever, buy whatever your heart desires and wallet can afford. Yep, and you'll definitely be supporting all of our content. Another one of our sponsors is Ultra Pro. They make the awesome Eclipse sleeves. They have the Relic tokens. They make sweet oh, yeah. play mats. They have dice and deck boxes. Anything you need for your real-life cardboard magic cards, Ultra Pro has it. And again, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting us. Okay, now it's time for the end step. I'm looking at this in shock as if I forgot it was going to be here. Uh, I think I know what I want to talk all right, about. Good. Where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic, Jimmy, bail us out. It comes out tomorrow. It's a movie. It's highly anticipated. It's by a new director. This is tomorrow direct... when we're recording it. So it will have come out. Yeah, it, it will have come out by the time this podcast is out. Uh, and the movie is Us by Jordan Peele. Oh, yeah. It here it's awesome. One of my most anticipated movies of all time. I don't like to get hyped up by anything. But every time I read someone talk about it, I see a review. It's like 98 or 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm just like, this is... I loved Get Out. It was one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Jordan Peele, uh, you may know him from Key and Peele as a comedian, but Turns he's out the actually guy's crazy talented. <laughs> crazy talented, incredibly passionate about horror, and hit. And if you haven't seen Get Out, that's an absolute must-watch as well. And Us looks incredible. It's got Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, it's got Winston Duke, who played uh, the one of the leaders in Black Panther. Uh, yep. A great cast. The movie looks incredible. It looks um, freaky. It looks freaky. Yeah. But you know, I had. One of my favorite experiences about seeing Get Out in theaters was everyone, it felt like a very interactive experience because everyone was screaming and like laughing. That's the great and, thing about horror movies in the theater, yeah. I think, yeah. And these movies, especially by Jordan Peele, I think have a very um, extra bit of like, this is really special what this is. There's this thing that happens when you live in and around LA and you work in the, the biz, as we say. Mm -hmm. There's certain movies will kind of create a buzz and you'll hear people sort of talking about it. And Us is one of those movies that the... The down low, the sort of chit chat, the uh, scuttlebutt, oh, yeah. as they say, around town is that it's very, very good. So very I'm excited good. to watch it. Maybe I'm going to have to go with you, though, because Elle will not watch a horror movie. What? And specifically that one, we saw the trailer, and she was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> that one looks freaky. Lupita <laughs> Nyong'o looks like so freaky. Just, 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 uh, oh, yeah. All yeah. that looks freaky. Um, yeah, so well, can I come along? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, okay, yeah, yeah. Great, we're all gonna, we'll have an office trip. Right, I know sweet. a lot of people here on the watch it, too. <laughs> Maybe we can get our good friends Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman to Maybe. watch as well. They host our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. They talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. They're very excited because Modern Horizons is, well, oh, yeah. on the horizon. It is on the horizon. And they are talking about that nonstop. So if you are interested in modern... Or you're going to maybe jump into it now that the... There's going to be a big explosive... There's a big upheaval in upheaval, the format. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be pretty cool, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, we're calling it now upheaval. In the, is upheaval... Uh, is it legal in modern? Blue? It, I, maybe. I don't even know if it's from a set that's legal in modern. Because we don't know modern. Alice and Ben do. And if you yeah, want to know right. about modern, then go over to the Master of Modern podcast. You can find them on Twitter at the MMCast or right next to us at collected.company. Our editor for the show is Josh Murphy. Are you looking up upheaval? Oh, uh, yeah, I am. It, it came out on Odyssey. So, no, I don't think it is. 
All right. Well, you heard it here first. They're going to reprint <laughs> upheaval in <laughs> just because we use that word. Sorry. Yeah, perfect. Uh, uh, wh- our editor is Josh Murphy. Murph. Murph. Or maybe Ashlyn Rose. Rose. Special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the 11 card animations that we see behind us. Rose. Rose. <laughs> I'm sure she's very happy about that. Right, wait, what was oh, it? Oh, Rosebud, yeah. Rosebud. Yeah, okay. Uh, shout out if you know where that's from. Living Cards MTG on Twitter. Jeffrey Palmer makes these amazing backdrops, as well as the intro and outro to our show that you can watch at youtube.com slash podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed our arena episode. Uh, if you guys want to see more arena content, let us know. Obviously, we, we know this isn't going to, we're not turning into an arena channel, but the I, we lo- both love arena. I honestly do think it is the direction of the future of magic in a big, big way. So we would like to make more content for it in the future, perhaps in addition to all the other stuff. Who knows? Who knows? We're no never going to not do the command zone, so we're not going to like stop doing commander yeah. content. But we are playing a lot of arena, and it is fun, and we assume a lot of you out there have tried it because it's so convenient and awesome. Also, if you want to bring someone new into the game, don't teach them commander. We've said this many times. Have them download the client for free, play it for free, and give them a taste of what the game is about. And then I think that's the perfect tastemaker to get them into the world. Yeah, actually, it should be great for commander players because it's a great way to teach people and let them dip their toe in the water. And then once they've done that for a little bit, hey, now you can come play commander. At least you have an idea of what's going on. Yeah, and the fundamentals. Yeah, really important. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I, I also want to say when some of you out there reach Mythic, if we've helped you in any small way, then we want to see the pictures of it. Send it to at CommandCast on Twitter, uh-huh. or uh, you can just email us. Or put, put it on, in the comments or whatever. Or the Discord if you're on Patreon. There you go. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.